Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John. If I didn't get a chance to see you on the way in, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on out. Let me just follow up on what Adam was talking about here because I want to make sure we all get involved with this DHC Nights. If you've never been, they're just fun, honestly. S3 is a great place. It's right across from the ocean. Show up 5.30 or whenever you get off of work. Come on by. Grab a drink if that's your thing. Get a soda if it's not. Have, a, you know, some food. It's just fun to meet people outside of the church experience and let your hair down a little bit. Uh, so it's great. And the small group. I was there this week. It's really good. I mean, if you're looking to get, I mean, I don't lead them. That's why I can say it. I mean, like, if I were the per person leading it, it would not be good. This guy's really good. He's a member of our church. He does a great job. We're going through Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. I've never been through that material. It's good stuff. Um, we start promptly at 7, but you should definitely be there before 7. And there's places to hang out. So come like 6.30, 6.45. We start at 7. We're, we end at 8. We respect your time. But if you're looking to meet people and go deeper, this is the way to do it. We had like 15 folks there. I met so many people I'd never really met before. It was great. Anyway, that's all that. Today, we are kicking off this series that we are calling Take a Stand. And what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks is examining the life and the story of Daniel, one of these great Old Testament figures. Now, we've never done this before. We've given Daniel like a day, I think we gave him like a day over last summer during the, the quarantine, but we've never given him his whole series. And I'm going to be honest with you, you could do like 12 weeks on Daniel. We're not going to do that because no one has that kind of attention span. We're going to give him four weeks, and, we're, and what we're going to sort of, like, if you don't know who Daniel is, you might know the story of Daniel and the lion's den. It's a great story. Daniel has earned his place in what I like to call the Sunday School Hall of Fame. We love teaching our kids about Daniel because of the lion story and these other ones that we're going to cover. And because he embodies godly character. There's just so much that we can learn from this guy, his friends, and his situation. And so what we're going to do today and for the next four weeks is we're going to take a look at the various times that Daniel took a stand. I'm going to sort of use that lingo today and for the rest of the series. He took a stand. Whether he was standing strong in the face of persecution or opposition, or whether he was standing up for what was right and had to have difficult conversations with people. I want us to find out what it looks like for us as followers of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus in these days, what it looks like for you to stand up for the right things at the right time, and in the right way. So to kick off today, to kick off this series, I want us to have just a conversation about what it looks like for us to stand out, to stand out in this world and in this culture. Because according to Scripture, Christians, um, we're called not to conform, it says, to the patterns of this world. That we're going to live in this world and we're going to live in society, but we are called to live differently, and sometimes in doing that, you are going to stand out. We are not to be pulled in to the current of culture. And so every once in a while, you're just going to find this, that you're, maybe you're, you're in your job, or you're at school, or you're just, you're living your life, and you may run into situations that conflict with the manner in which God has called you to live. And you got to make a choice. Are you going to take the path of least resistance, just sort of go with the flow, or are you going to stand out and take a stand? Now, to guide this conversation, I want us to take a look at the very beginning of Daniel's story. I want to go to the very beginning of his book in the Old Testament. I want to start at the beginning. Now, just so you have some context of dates, 
Daniel's story begins in 605 B.C. Just in case you never thought about this in the context of church, that means 605 years before Jesus Christ was born in the little town of Bethlehem. So Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to kick off. It says, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. All right? So we meet Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, for all intents and purposes, is our bad guy. He is the antagonist, the Daniel sort of protagonist. And the Babylonians are, at this point, probably the greatest military force in the world. And they are, they are living in what is now modern-day Iraq. And so this military force, these Babylonians, led by the bad guy, King Nebuchadnezzar, they march north out of Iraq, and they conquer Israel. They come into Israel, they conquer Jerusalem, they ransack God's homeland, really it, it is, and they run roughshod over God's people, the Jews. And so this Jewish homeland that was given to them has just been decimated by this pagan army and by Nebuchadnezzar. So there's a twist. See, Daniel lets us know that the Lord actually gave him, this is Nebuchadnezzar, Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and actually permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So you hear this and go, wait, hold on. You're telling me that God, as in our God, as in, as in like the one true God, as, as in the God of the Jews, you're telling me that, that he actually not only permitted a pagan nation to steal objects from the temple, but actually gave him victory over his own people? What is that about? Well, when you read scripture, when you read the prophets, a guy named Jeremiah and a guy named Habakkuk, what you'll find is that for years and years and years, according to Jeremiah, for 23 years, God was telling the Jews that they need to change their ways, that, 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 that they began to drift from him, and they were getting involved in idolatry, meaning they were starting to place their faith in something or someone else other than God. And so through the prophets, God said to his people, y'all better stop it. You, you better repent of what you're doing, and if you don't, I'm going to have to send judgment on you to correct your behavior. And these prophets, you can go read it for yourself if that interests you, but these prophets literally warn that God's going to send Nebuchadnezzar. It's like a play-by-play. Here's what's going to happen if you don't. Well, they didn't. They didn't listen. And we know that God only allows sin amongst his people for so long, and so he fulfilled his promise. And old Nebuchadnezzar showed up, and he ransacks Jerusalem he besieges it. He goes into the temple. He steals artifacts from the temple. And it says he took them, meaning the artifacts, back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. This is like if some anti-Christian terrorist organization stormed the Vatican. Just broke down the doors, got into the walls, got into the Vatican, stole all kinds of priceless Christian artifacts, took them back to their own country, and placed them in the temple to their own God. This is psychological warfare, honestly, at its finest. This is terrorism. This is a power move. This is Nebuchadnezzar boldly proclaiming that my God is greater than your God. 
You thought Yahweh, that's the name of our God if you didn't know that, you thought Yahweh was in control? You're in my world now, baby. But Nebuchadnezzar wasn't done. I mean, not only was he going to destroy their present lives and everything that they knew and saw and understood, he was determined to destroy their future as well. It says that then the king ordered Ashpenaz, which I love because it sounds like Rasmataz. The king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the old Rasmataz, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar is saying, Ashpenaz, here's what I need you to do. I need you to bring to me the shining lights of Israel. I want them. I need you to bring to me the stars of the next generation. I want to see them. I want you to bring to me the best of the best, their future leaders. I want to see them. And here's how I want you to pick them out. I want you to select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. Right? We want these studs. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, that they're gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. And then he says, train these young men in the language and the literature of Babylon. Meaning, I want them to speak like we speak, and I want them to think like we think. Additionally, we see that the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchen. Now, this is very important. Right, we're going to come back to this, but I want you to file this away, this idea that the king is the one who has chosen the food that these young boys are going to be eating, and it's coming from his own kitchen. File that away. It says that they were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter into the royal service. So what do we see here? What we see here is a very strategic and intentional plan to indoctrinate these young Jewish boys into Babylonian culture. King Nebuchadnezzar wants them to think like Babylonians think. He wants them to behave like Babylonians behave. And he wants them to believe just like the Babylonians believe. And I'm just going to be honest with you. When I look at this list, when I look at what Nebuchadnezzar was doing, this honestly mirrors the strategy of Satan, particularly when it comes to the lives of Christians. Because Satan's primary goal and what he's trying to do is trying to indoctrinate you, if you are a follower of Christ, he's trying to indoctrinate you into the worldly system. His goal is to lure you away and to pull you away from the one true God. Now, here's the thing about Satan. Satan's too smart to just come right at you. He, he just can't come right at you with a full frontal assault because you'd see it from a mile away particularly because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you're able to discern these kinds of things. So he just can't come at you right out of the gate. He's got to be a little bit more devious in how he does that. And so what Satan tries to do in the lives of Christians is he slowly chips away at the way that you think and the way that you behave and the things that you believe. And the way that he does this more times than not is by using tools such as the media or culture or even politics. Why? Because we as humans and even we as Christians put a lot of faith in those things. We lean heavily on those things. 
and we let our guards down around them. And I'll just say this. I'm just going to put this out there. You might not want to hear this, but hear, hear. chances are, chances are, if you are a Christian and you hold beliefs that run counter to Scripture, that are different than the promises of God, that are different than the teachings of Jesus, that are different than biblical principles, chances are the enemy at some level and at some point has gotten his hooks into you. And they started to change the way that you think. That's why Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament, advises us. He goes, guys, look, you got to put on the full armor of God, as he calls it. you got to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He would go, look, it's not enough. Listen, it's not enough to just go to church for an hour a week or 40 minutes a week, depending on how late you show up. That's not going to cut it. Like, if you want to stand strong against the God, like if you want to stand strong for God in this world, that's not enough. you got to put on the full armor of God. What does that look like? you got to be praying. you got to be serving. you got to be giving. you got to be reading Scripture. you got to be in fellowship with people. you got to be building one another up and encouraging folks. I mean, if you want to withstand the schemes of the enemy when he's trying to change who you are, he's trying to change how you think, and he's trying to change the way and the things that you believe, you've got to be ready for it, Paul says. Therefore, put on the full armor. Don't just put a helmet on and think you're good to go. Don't just put on a breastplate, as he would call it, and think you're good to go. You've got to put it all on. So that when, meaning it's going to happen, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. What he's saying is that there is going to come a time in your life when your faith and the way that you think and the things that you believe are challenged. And you're going to have to make a decision. Will you stand for what is right or will you choose to just blend in? Story continues. We finally meet our boy Daniel. Verse 6. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, and they're all from the tribe of Judah. Now, we're going to see two things happen to these boys as they experience this indoctrination process. The Babylonians are going to change their names, and then they're going to change their diets, okay? So, first, they're going to change their Hebrew names to Babylonian names. It says, Daniel was now called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. Now, the big question you may be wondering is, why? Why, why change the Hebrew names to, to Babylonian names? What's, what's, that, what's that about? Well, the answer lies in their Hebrew names, because their Hebrew names, each of them have a reference to God, our God, Yahweh. Daniel in Hebrew means God is my judge. Hananiah means beloved by the Lord. And Azariah means the Lord is my help. So because all of their names reference sort of the worship of, of Yahweh, Nebuchadnezzar reaches in, strips out those names, and tries to reprogram these boys by giving them Babylonian names. For example, Mishael in Hebrew means who is what God is. His Babylonian name, Meshach, means who is what Eku is. That's the Babylonian moon god. 
And so every time someone goes, hey, Meshach, can you come over here? It's a reminder that Yahweh is God, my friend. He's been defeated. The Babylonian gods are here now. So they changed their names. Then they changed their diets. Now remember the food. We talked about this, right? They're getting their food now from the king's kitchen. Now, this food and wine might be top-notch stuff. Might be things you find in a, you know, a three-Michelin-star restaurant, that kind of a thing. But there's a problem. And the problem with this food is that it has been previously dedicated to and sacrificed to foreign gods. So that's a problem if you're Jewish. According to the law, you cannot eat that kind of food because it is a direct disobedience of God's law. So now they've got a real dilemma. Because they got to eat, but they're not supposed to eat this food. And so they are presented with something that goes against everything they stand for, goes against the way that God has called them to live. Something amazing happens. Verse 8. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. So he takes his stand. I'm not going to eat this food, but notice something. Notice that he didn't take a stand when they took his name. Like, when they took his name, he just let it go. He didn't fight back. He didn't say anything. Why? Because it's just his name. I mean, he knew that this outward name that he was called doesn't change who he is on the inside. It doesn't change who he worships in his heart. And so when they took his name, he didn't say anything. But when God's name might be defamed by eating this food, that's when he took a stand. Now, notice that it says he resolved not to defile himself. This is what I want to land on for the rest of our time today. This means that Daniel made a predetermined resolution to not engage in a particular behavior. So, before he had even been presented with this kind of food, this temptation of this king's food, he had predetermined, he had decided ahead of time what he would do and what he would not do were he to find himself in this kind of a situation. And that's why, as you're going to see, he had success in this life. See, the truth is, for all of us, when you're presented with a temptation, first of all, you never know when it's going to come, but when you're presented with a temptation, maybe it's financial temptation, maybe it's a sexual temptation, maybe it's a fill-in-the-blank, whatever it is, you're never going to know. But when you are presented with a temptation, and you have put no thought into how you would react were you to be in this situation, let me tell you something. There's a greater chance that you will compromise your diet. Why? Because it's difficult to hear God's still small voice in the heat of the moment. It's not impossible. It's just way more difficult. I mean, think about Daniel's situation for a second. He's 13, 14, 15 years old. He's a 1,000 miles away from home. There's no family watching him. He's surrounded by Babylonians and some other boys. Everybody else is eating the food. I, I mean, he might think, well, I got to eat, right? Mm, I mean, God forgives, doesn't he? I'll just do it this once. I mean, it's not, it's not that big of a deal, so I'll just do it this once. In the heat of the moment when the pressure's on, and the temptation is right in front of his face, he could have caved to peer pressure. In the heat of the moment, he could have caved to the, to the threat of punishment. 
in the heat of the moment, he could have caved to the, this fear of being branded as uncooperative. But because he made a predetermined resolution to never eat this kind of food, if it were presented to him, he was able to withstand that temptation. And he was able to honor God in the process. I think we can take a cue, or at least we should, from Daniel in this situation. I think each and every single one of us, and we're going to talk about this in the end, we got to decide that no matter what, I will never. No matter what the pressure is, no matter what the situation is, I will never. And this looks different for everybody. Maybe for you, maybe for you, alcohol is a problem. It wasn't, but now it is. And it just seems to lead you down a dark path in your life. And so for you, you've made a predetermined resolution that, you know what, for me, I'm not going to drink. And so what does that mean? That means I'm never going to go into a bar. I've made a predetermined resolution. It means that when I go to a house party and things are starting to get a little lively, that's my cue to leave. And because you've made a predetermined resolution to never, you are setting yourself up for a greater chance of success. Maybe, maybe for some of you, you've made a predetermined resolution to honor God and honor your wife by saying, you know what, I will never go to a strip club. It's just something I'm not going to do. And it's so important because in the heat of the moment, when it's 10 p.m. and the drinks are flowing and your boys are going, hey, let's head down south and go to Scarlet's, you have made a predetermined resolution. You know what, guys? Listen, you can go if you want. That's just not something that I'm going to do. It's just not in my journey with God. It's not how I want to respect my marriage and my wife. And let me tell you something. When they start busting your chops, it's going to be far easier to withstand that temptation because you've made a predetermined resolution, I will never. Ladies, I couldn't really think of a good one for you. But like, let's say you've made a predetermined resolution to not get involved in husband bashing when it's ladies' night and the rosé starts flowing, right? I've heard the stories, okay? I know what you guys are all saying behind our backs. I get it, okay? Listen, when we make a predetermined resolution to never, we will set ourselves up for far greater success. I once heard a guy describe this idea as putting guardrails in your life. And when you think about a guardrail, like on the side of a highway, when you think about a guardrail, what do they do? They direct your path down the road, and they protect you from danger. The interesting thing about a guardrail is that they're not placed in the danger zone, are they? But before, they're actually placed in the safe zone. Because if, if it was already in the ditch or if it was in Alligator Alley and it's already down by the gators, by the time you hit that guardrail, it's too late. So they place them in the safe zone to minimize damage. When you decide ahead of time that I will never, no matter what, it's like putting a guardrail in your life. It directs your path, and it keeps you safe. Now, there's another aspect to making a predetermined resolution. Because we also want to decide ahead of time that no matter what's going on in my life, I will always. I will always do this no matter what's happening. Now, for me personally, I was thinking about this, this week, for me personally, I had made a predetermined resolution that I was always going to go to church. It was just something that I was going to do in my life. That Jesus was a priority in my life, and because of everything that he's done, I mean, forget about the blessings and the opportunities and all that, forget about all that. 
because he died on the cross. Because of that, I have made right with God. Because of that alone, I decided a long, long time ago that the least that I could do to say thank you was to give him one hour of my week. This was actually instilled in me by my parents. And parents in the room, this means that you can give your children pre, you know, predetermined resolutions. My parents decided that the Garippa family, we go to church. If we're in town, if we're around, if our hearts are beating, if the doors are unlocked, we're going to be there. And folks, I remember the summer times. Let me just tell you about the summer times. So in New Jersey, that's where I'm from. In New Jersey, everybody during the summer either owns a house or rents a house at the Jersey Shore. You've heard about the Jersey Shore. You, know, you got Snooky, okay, in the situation. It's not really like that, trust me. But just geographically so you understand how this story is working. The Jersey Shore is like living in Fort Lauderdale and going to Isla Mirada. It's about an hour and a half, two-hour drive. And every weekend, you, everybody, you should see the traffic. You go down there, and that's what you do for the weekend. And my parents made a predetermined resolution that even in the summers, because our church was in North Jersey, an hour and a half away, we were going to drive to go to church. Because my dad was a volunteer there, because I had my kids programming there. This is something that we were going to do, even though the beach was calling, even though the waves looked great as a surfer, even though we knew that traffic on the way back was going to be twice as long, we were going to go do you know what it's like being a teenager? Do you know what it, let's be honest, I mean, we're friends here. Do you know what it's like being a teenager and missing a half a day of the summer? When, when, when like, you're sitting in a suit, there's no suit back then, sitting in a suit, driving up to North Jersey, and you know your buddies are surfing or doing, having all kinds of fun, and you're, it's not easy. But that did something to me. It changed me. Because when I went away to college, when I went a thousand miles away from home, many states away, church remained a priority. And even if I was up till four in the morning at some SIGAP party, I made a predetermined resolution that I was going to be at church the next morning at 9 a.m. And that predetermined decision in a frat basement surrounded by bad decisions, let me tell you something, okay, <laughs> made me stand out. Trust me when I say that to you, okay? And it didn't take long for, for, like, the word to get out, like, hey, this guy's going to church tomorrow morning. Can you? Really? Why? I don't know. I like it. It's a priority in my life. And eventually, that decision to stand out, it actually had an impact on the people around me. It was the strangest thing. I mean, after a while, these folks stopped busting my chops about going to church, and instead, it almost seemed like they like, admired it, you know? And it didn't take long for people, like two in the morning, three in the morning, to even begin asking me questions about God. And sometimes they'd say, hey, can I go with you in the morning? This is just fascinating. So Daniel made a predetermined resolution to never eat this food. But take a look at how this played out. So he resolved not to eat it, right? And then it says that he asked, key word, he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, when Ashpenaz, our old buddy, hears that these guys are trying not to eat the food, he gets all nervous. He thinks, you know, if you do this, you're going to get all sick and gangly. And as you know, Nebuchadnezzar made me choose, like, the best stock. And so I don't think this is a good idea, boys. Daniel goes, no, no, don't worry. Let's, let's, let's strike a deal. He goes, please, test your servants. Just test us for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. 
Then compare our appearances with that of the young men who eat the royal food. Hypocrisy. They've taken their stand, right? But what did they not do? They didn't make some big protest. To borrow an Italian word, they didn't make some big cetamone, right? This big ceremony. They didn't, like, it wasn't some, look at me, look at how holy I am, right? They didn't make a scene. They took a stand for God with class, wisdom, and respect. And I got to be honest with you, and I know none of you go to this church, because I can, so I can say this, but you can tell your friends, because you might know some. There's a lot of Christians out there, well-meaning, right? I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Well-meaning, who could learn a lot from these boys. Because you can stand out for God, for the right thing and in the right way, or you can stand out in the wrong way. And I'm just going to say this. If you've made yourself into some kind of self-appointed Facebook Bible police and you've used Scripture as like a, as like a, a sword, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't think you're having the effect that you think you're having. Nothing makes me cringe more than when I see some of the comments the Christians make on, on these news articles. And it's like, oh, the world is watching you. If you're somebody who's holding a sign on the corner of like Oakland Park Boulevard and Federal Highway and it says something like turn or burn, I mean, you think the sign looks great, but I don't think you for having the effect that you thought like you're trying to have. Look, guys. We want to stand out in this world. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are called to stand out in this world. But we want to ask, God, am I taking a stand for the right thing, for the right reason? And am I doing it in the right way? Because when we, like, we just want to be sure that when we do this, we are bringing honor to God. So Daniel and his friends, they take this stand, and they stood out for 10 days during this test period. All eyes. On them. Peer pressure. I've got to imagine what they couldn't do is, what are you guys doing? Are you guys killed? Who do you think you are? I mean, the threat of punishment looming over everybody's head. I mean, imagine Ashpenaz during this. And at the end, it says, at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. This is not some pro-vegan, vegetarian stuff, by the way. I'm just letting you know. It's a God thing. Okay, so <laughs> that's not the practical today. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for others, which means these guys stood out for three years. For the rest of their lives, these guys made a decision to look different than everyone else, to stand out, rather than blending in, in order to honor God. And after remaining faithful to God in this small thing like food, it says that God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. And we're going to see that play out in the upcoming weeks. God rewarded these boys for being faithful, though. Which is to say, I mean, if they failed, if they compromised, if they caved to peer pressure, if they lifted up their feet and went with the current of culture, 
they would have missed out on God's blessing. And history would have looked very, very different. When I was looking at this week, I just, it, it made me ask a very uncomfortable question of myself, and I'll just share it with you. Have I ever missed out on a blessing, having chosen the path of least resistance? Because, folks, I'd love nothing more than to stand up here and tell you I've never wavered in my faith, that I've always done the right thing, I've always made the wise choices, I've always done what God has asked me to do, but come on, let's get real. Now, I'm not saying I missed out on some big supernatural gift like these guys got. Maybe I did. I don't know. But couldn't it be argued? Couldn't it be argued that by caving, when I should have stood strong, that I missed out on the gift of peace? Story wrapped up. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, so this is now three years of these boys standing out, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. It says the king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered into the royal service. They were faithful in the small things, and God blessed them for it. I mean, in the midst of persecution, in a foreign land, God has now elevated these boys to positions of influence. And you're going to see how that plays out in the upcoming weeks. Let me tell you something. Being a Christian is not easy. You, you know this. It's, and it's only going to get harder. I mean, trying to live your life according to biblical principles, that's not easy to do especially when everyone around you, including the media and culture and politics, are saying that sometimes biblical principles are incorrect. Scripture says that until Christ returns, and we don't know when that's going to be, even Jesus himself doesn't know when that's going to happen. So if you ever meet somebody who says they know, they're lying. Until Christ comes back, according to Scripture, the world is only going to get darker. And we as followers of Jesus Christ are called to be the light. And so you're going to have to make a decision. When you're challenged to compromise your faith, the way that you think, behave, believe, when you're challenged to compromise that, will you take the path of least resistance? Or will you be brave and choose to take a stand? Now, I don't know about you, but I would rather be remembered for standing out than forgotten for blending in. So, what is the path of faith? If it's your first time here today, every single week at DHC, we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So this week, as I was kind of thinking about Daniel's predetermined resolution to not defile himself, to honor God in that kind of a situation. Because of that, it changed history. I mean, literally, his, his future would look different because he made that decision to stand out from the rest. And it made me wonder, what might the future hold if we all here today made a decision to follow God no matter what? No matter what the situation is, 
no matter what the people around us are saying, no matter what culture is telling you, media is telling you, whatever the enemy is saying into your ear, what would it look like for you to follow God no matter what? Now, the truth is, when it comes to our future, we can't predict our future. It's just something that we cannot do. But we can do something. We can make a decision today that can set us up for success tomorrow. So here's what I want you to do. I just want to challenge you. Maybe it's today. Maybe it's this week. I want you to get alone with God. Take out a piece of paper and a pen or use the notes section in your, in, in your phone. And I want you to decide ahead of time. I want you to really make a predetermined resolution that no matter what, I will never. And I want you to literally make a list. What are some things in your life that you will never compromise, that you will never do? And here's the important part. Once you've made that list, then you got to practice it. You say, God, I can't, I can't, I can't do this in my own strength. But I pray, Lord, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that when I find myself in a situation that might prevent me from honoring you, honoring my faith, my spouse, my family, I pray that you would give me the strength to never to walk away. And then flip it around and set yourself up for a different kind of success. I want you to decide ahead of time to make a predetermined resolution that no matter what, I will always. These are the things that I will always do in my life as a follower of Jesus. And again, you've got to get before the Lord and say, God, this is not virtue signaling. I can't do this on my own. But I pray, Lord, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help me make commitments in my life. And that you would help me set a course towards you. Help me, Jesus, to be faithful in the small things. And that could change your life forever. If you begin to take a stand for the right things at the right time and in the right way, it can change the course of history. It did for Daniel. And it can absolutely change the quality and the direction of your life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could come together today. Talk about Daniel. God, I can only imagine what it was like being 13, 14, 15 years old in a foreign country, in a different culture. our faith and beliefs and everything we knew was called into question. Where we were being challenged to compromise around every corner, but God, Lord, the truth is that's our story. As your children, Heavenly Father, you've sent us to be into this world, but you've called us not to be of it. And I just pray that today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would give us the courage. You would allow us to be brave. You would help us to make predetermined resolutions to stand up for you. To lean on the promises of God. To abide by the scripture 
because you want the best for us. And I pray, Lord, that in the process of standing out in the right way, for the right things, at the right time, God, I pray that, Lord, you would not only bring success into our own lives, but we would be able to glorify you in the process. We ask all this in Jesus' name.